0: Number 62 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm Chris Trapodi of DraftAnalyst.com. And with me, as always, is Tony Pauline as we keep moving along in our 2019 NFL Draft Reviews with the AFC North. I will cover the Ravens and the Bengals in today's episode. How's it hanging, Tony? Okay.
1: Weather's getting a little bit nicer, which is nice to see. And it's also interesting as we talk about these drafts by the different teams and we grade the rookies, you know, a lot of these rookies are coming out of rookie minicamp. So it's been fun and interesting to follow up on uh, you know who's looked good in the three days of shorts and practice and everything else. so that's always an interesting watch.
0: Absolutely. and we'll start here, as I said, with the Ravens, Baltimore traded back in the first round, picking up picks 125 and 197 to slide from pick 22 to pick 25 from the Philadelphia Eagles, and they took the player that they probably would have taken anyway, an Oklahoma wide receiver, Marquise Brown. Now, we don't have a 40-time on Brown, but it's assumed he would have ran in the 4-2s if he tested in Indy, but obviously a Liz Frank injury kept him out for most of the pre-draft process. Also caused his weight to drop into the 160s, which is where he measured at at the Combine. Generally plays in the mid-70s. I've heard that he is back up into that weight now. Despite that frame, Brown, though, isn't just a speed receiver. He's a natural catcher with good ball skills. He can track passes down the field, and obviously he has no issues creating separation between his speed and just the threat of his speed that has corners playing so far off him off the line of scrimmage. Now, Lamar Jackson struggled throwing down the field last season, very run-heavy offense in Baltimore, and speedster John Brown was mostly wasted once Joe Flacco wasn't under center for the Ravens, but this pick injects some much-needed speed Into that Baltimore
1: offense speed big playability as well as reliable hands I mean it was well known that the Ravens were looking for receivers I was doing interviews at the senior bowl in Baltimore radio stations they kept asking about receivers and I think we reported the middle of March on this podcast that I had received information it was either going to be Marquis Brown or DK Metcalf and you know Brown kind of fell to them even though they traded back It'll be interesting to to see how he does. You know, he's more of a slot receiver based on his build. He doesn't have the great upside. He is an absolute downfield threat, as I've said. You know, during the lead up to the draft, not only was he Kyler Murray's greatest asset, but there were situations where he was almost outrunning the ball that Murray was throwing downfield. And despite the fact he had a three to four step advantage on a defensive back, he would have to slow up in his route and wait for the pass to get to him. You know. Sometimes these smaller receivers that are taken in the first round don't really pan out. Tavon Austin, Ted Ginn Jr., you know, some of these guys have taken a while. I think it'll be a good target for Lamar Jackson. I agree with everything you said about Marquis Brown. He's more than just a home run threat. He is a very good natural pass catcher. We'll see how quickly the adjustment is for him to move into an NFL style of offense and how quickly he takes off.
0: Absolutely. And the Ravens had a pair of third round picks as well. No second rounder, but they turned those picks into Louisiana Tech edge rusher Jalen Ferguson and Notre Dame wide receiver Miles Boykin double dipping there at the receiver position. Now we're quite a bit higher on Ferguson than many. So this was a great value for a guy who was a top 35 player on our board. And he's also a player who broke Terrell Sugg's college sack record at Louisiana Tech. Now, he has issues against the run. Those won't come into play as much with him standing over tackle off the edge in Baltimore. Maybe that'll also help him find the ball quicker. Locating the ball was one of his major issues with the Bulldogs. Now, Boykin crushed the combine, doesn't quite play to that level of athleticism on the field. He's a bit raw as both a route runner and as a receiver. Once he gains more reps and more experience, I think he can start to play to that athletic ability. And he did improve once Ian Book took over under center instead of Brandon Wimbush, who was more of a run-first quarterback. If Baltimore can kind of harness that athleticism and really develop Boykin, he he might be a player who can produce better in the NFL than he did in college with guys like Wimbush and Book.
1: Yeah, Ferguson is interesting in the sense that, go back to what I said about the Jets with Ja'Kai Polite. You know, it's not always an easy transition going from out of a three-point stance as an edge rusher in college, to standing over tackle on a consistent basis. And really, the Ravens have not had a lot of success with Tim Williams, who they selected in the uh, third round of the 2017 draft, although he's had a lot of injuries. So Ferguson has the physical skills. He has the athletic skills. He's a monster pass rusher up the field. As you said, ironic that the Ravens selected him because he broke all of Terrell Sugg's NCAA records as a pass rusher, as a sacker. He's got the skills. It's just a matter of how quickly can he get acquainted to Get accustomed to standing over tackle. I'm sure he's going to vie for playing time, if not a starting position, especially since kind of this is a make or break year for Williams. We'll see. A lot of people besides ourselves had Jalen Ferguson as a uh, top 45 pick, though most of us saw him as a defensive end in a four man line. We'll see where it goes from here. I agree with you about Miles Boykin. I mean, Miles Boykin on film is a very average receiver. He doesn't show the home run hitting speed that he displayed or that he tested to at the combine. He doesn't show that same athleticism. At times, he seems to fight the ball. We know this he's big, we know he's athletic, we know he's physical. Now, it's just a matter of Miles Boykin transitioning those outstanding testing numbers you know, onto the football field and playing to his 40 time and and really, you know, just stepping up his game and turning from athlete into receiver.
0: Now, first-year general manager Eric Dacosta, who took over for Ozzie Newsom this past season, ended up with five picks overall on the third day of the draft, two coming from that aforementioned trade with the Eagles. In round four, the Ravens took Oklahoma State running back Justice Hill, Oklahoma guard Ben Powers, and USC cornerback Iman Marshall. They grabbed Texas A&M defensive tackle Daylon Mack in the fifth and rounded out their draft with Penn State quarterback Trace McSorley in round six. The Hill pick just adds even more speed to an offense that really has plenty of it at every position now. Hill's obviously not going to be a feature back at under 200 pounds. He's just okay as a receiver, doesn't really stand out as a pass catcher, but he should see work immediately behind Mark Ingram. Powers is a road grader who really fits the Ravens' run-heavy offense to a tee, a guy who's going to really clear holes on the inside. Now, Amon Marshall has good size, decent speed, but at USC, he's always struggled with consistency, hasn't been the best in man coverage, was actually rated barely as a draftable player on our board, but his physicality could help him as either a zone corner or even a safety, so he does have some versatility to boost his stock as well. Mack was a nice pick, a guy to develop behind 30-year-old Brandon Williams it's a nose tackle. They're kind of similar players. Mac tested decently for a man his size in the 330s. Took a step forward in 2018 on the field as well. The last pick the Ravens made, Trace McSorley, kind of looks like a throwaway pick to me. At best, he's probably going to be a low-end NFL backup under center. But if anything, he went to the right quarterback room for his skill set. But unless the Ravens see something that we don't, I really don't love that pick. Maybe they look into changing positions for him. I know a lot of teams are recruiting him as a safety out of high school, so there's some versatility there along the field, but I just didn't love that pick. Tony, what did you think of Baltimore's third-day haul?
1: Yeah, Justice Hills is a good fit because he complements Ingram and Gus Edwards and Kenneth Dixon as a situational third-down back. A guy that you can get the ball in space. You talked about his explosive speed. You know, he can pick and choose his way on the inside. He also has the agility and speed to turn the perimeter. Does need to improve his pass catching, but I think that will come. So I thought that was an outstanding selection. Ben Powers, again, you know, you're looking at a guy who's going to back up early in his career. Marshall Yanders approaching his mid-30s, so his terrific career is likely coming to an end. So I think Powers, we had him graded as a fourth rounder. That's exactly where he went. I thought that was a good selection. As you said with Lewis Marshall, I, I mean, fourth round was a little bit too early, for us and for me because just too much inconsistency in his game he's big he's physical but he struggles making plays with his back to the ball you know you could move him inside the safety as you said his zone corner I like his physical skills I just don't like the consistency of his game and I thought round four was a little bit too high Dalen Mack had a terrific week of practice in the postseason at the Shrine game he's a tough slug it out guy doesn't have great size doesn't have great growth potential But uh, if you use him as sort of a one-gap nose tackle, I think he'll do well. And and McSorley, uh, you know, I agree with you. I I didn't have McSorley graded as a uh, draftable player. Uh, He was a terrific college passer, but he's just a guy who I think does not project all that well to the next level.
0: Now, DeCosta signed a whopping 17 free agents after the draft. That's the highest number in any of our podcasts so far. Miami's Gerald Willis is a first-step defensive lineman, has some good explosiveness, and is a potential three technique. Unfortunately, he's a strange fit in the Ravens' defense, probably going to have to either two-gap or play on the nose. I don't necessarily like either of those spots for him, but I do like the player as a value after the draft. Otara Alaka from Texas A&M. Is a hard-hitting linebacker and run defense, an explosive player, but he ran a slow 4'8", 240 at just 239 pounds, probably maxes out as a special teamer and a backup inside linebacker, but he does fit the Baltimore defense better than a guy like Gerald Willis, even if he's not the same level talent. Colorado safety Evan Worthington is another tough defensive player. He has limited speed, but he could end up eventually backing up at safety and excelling as a special teamer. Any UDFAs besides these guys or including these guys? Tony, stand out to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, Willis was a strange fit. I thought Willis should have been a last day pick, but I agree with you. He's more of a defensive tackle, three technique tackle in a four man line. You know, ironically, Jalen Smith is back with his college quarterback, uh, Lamar Jackson. Jalen Smith, off the 2017 film, was highly graded by scouts. I gave him a third round grade, and he basically fell off the face of the earth last year. I mean, his production was way down. He was very spotty at the uh, Senior Bowl, really didn't stand out, but. He's back with his quarterback, where he had great success in 2017, so if he gets it back on track to where he was, could make the team as a fifth receiver. Evan Worthington, more of a special team, strong safety type. Michael Noha of Texas A&M Commerce. We've got a scouting report on him at draftanalyst.com. He's a guy who I think will compete as a pass rush specialist. Doesn't have the great size speed numbers, but he was a terrific pass rusher at Texas A&M Commerce. Out of a three-point stance, as well as standing over tackle. So I think that was worth a roll of the dice.
0: Overall, I thought the Ravens did pretty well in this draft. It's hard to poke holes in any of their picks, at least before the McSorley pick. The Marshall pick wasn't great either. But in the end, they drafted players who filled needs and fit in well for the most part at good value as well. Tony, do you agree?
1: Yeah, I I mean, we knew Marquis Brown. They wanted Marquis Brown. We said that in March. Jalen Ferguson was obviously a, a value pick. Miles Boykin, if he's able to transition those athletic skills into football ability, they could have something really good on their hands. Justice Hill and Ben Powers were excellent picks in the fourth round. I think Justice Hill do well early in his NFL career as a situational player. And then Ben Powers, I'm sure, will be groomed to take over eventually for Marshall Yanda.
0: Now, I'll head to the Queen City in just a moment. But before we do, please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst 1, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. Now, there were many ways that the Bengals could have gone with the number 11 overall pick, but in the end, their once-talented offensive line needed a lot of reinforcements. They got one in Alabama's Jonah Williams, a very safe pick outside of the top 10. Now, Williams is A cerebral player, we've talked a lot about the notebook he keeps of opposing players and their tendencies and what they like to do, how they win, how they're going to try to beat him. He'll probably end up starting his career at right tackle, but he can play guard. He can probably even kick into center if you really needed him to. The Bengals probably don't with Billy Price on the inside. But that versatility that Williams provides will be really important along a line that could have a lot of moving pieces over the next few years as it tries to get back to the level it was a few years ago when it was one of the better lines in the league. Obviously, we've talked a lot about Williams on this podcast, Tony. How do you like the fit in Cincinnati?
1: Well, we'll see if he can play right tackle. You know, I liked him more as an interior offensive lineman. I always had him graded as guard, but you're right. I mean, he's a smart, tough guy, keeps copious notes on opponents. I think he will be able to handle the right tackle spot, although it may take a bit of transition time. Not the greatest athlete in the world. I never thought him to be a top 10 pick at left tackle. And in that sense, I guess I was right. But I could understand why the Bengals went with him. He's a you know, workman-like type of offensive lineman. You know what you're getting with him. Doesn't have the great upside, but comes with really minimal risk. And I think he immediately helps that Bengals uh, offensive line.
0: Absolutely. And the Bengals surprised with their round two pick by taking Washington tight end Drew Sample. Then they grabbed North Carolina State linebacker Jermaine Pratt in the third round. Two guys that we saw up close and personal at the Senior Bowl. Neither pick was really great value, although Sample is a guy we like. He's more of a blocker than a receiver, but he's an above-average athlete. He showed receiving chops in mobile, so maybe there's a little untapped upside there for him. And he can definitely be an NFL starter, even if it's a guy who's more relied on for his blocking than his pass-catching. It's also tough to see the upside beyond where he was drafted. Maybe if he was a third round pick, you could say, oh, there's definitely upside beyond this. Seems like he was drafted at his ceiling, but either way, he should help the Bengals. Pratt is a coverage linebacker who struggled in coverage at the senior bowl. He did play as a four five seven at the combine, get sideline to sideline well, shows good discipline as a player, and obviously the Bengals believe more in his film in terms of his coverage ability than what he showed in Mobile.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you on Sample. I mean, love them as a player. Just don't love him as a second round pick. I thought he was more third, fourth rounder. We knew eventually they were going to go uh, tight end. I thought there were better athletes at the tight end position than Sample when they selected early in round two. But he's a three down guy. I mean, he, he ran faster than expected, had a good week of senior bowl practice. I mean, was very consistent at Washington. So in that sense, you can't blame them because of what he brings to the table. Jermaine Pratt. Really comes off, you know, was not good during Senior ball week, was very nondescript throughout his senior season. But I think he's a terrific fit as a 4-3, either strong side linebacker or you can stick him on the inside. Has got a lot of skill, is a three-down player. Not only tested well at the Combine, but he plays to those testing numbers. And he also adds a good degree of instinct and football intelligence. So it's just a matter of him pulling the whole package together and really getting back to where he was in 2017 where coming off that year, scouts graded him as a potential top 45 pick. A lot of upside, just has to be coached correctly.
0: Now, since he had seven picks on the third day, including three in the fourth round, where they took Pratt's college teammate, North Carolina State quarterback Ryan Finley. They took Arizona State defensive tackle Rennell Wren and Ohio State guard Michael Jordan. They doubled up on running backs in round six with Travion Williams out of Texas A&M and Rodney Anderson out of Oklahoma. Sandwiched between those two backs was Auburn linebacker Deshaun Davis. And in the seventh round, they went with South Dakota cornerback Jordan Brown. Finley was an interesting pick to me. I'm of the opinion that he's a guy who's going to be a high-end NFL backup, potential spot starter. Not sure he has a ton of upside beyond that. But Andy Dalton is on somewhat shaky ground in Cincinnati, has always kind of been a guy who's the sum of his parts in terms of having healthy receivers to throw to, not the kind of guy that's going to carry an offense or elevate the players around him. So it's not crazy to think that if things go wrong in Cincinnati this season, Finley may get a chance to play and possibly convince the Bengals that he can be their guy moving forward. Ren played nose tackle at Arizona State, but he's also a freak athlete in terms of speed and explosiveness. So he can start his career backing up both Andrew Billings and Geno Atkins on the inside and provide nice depth and future value for the Bengals. Michael Jordan joins his former teammate, Billy Price, who we mentioned earlier. Price played ahead of him at Ohio State before last season. And while Jordan isn't quite on the same level as his former teammate, he can also play guard in addition to center and does have the growth potential to eventually start. Now I'll touch on Rodney Anderson quickly before passing this to Tony because, to me at least, He was the second-best running back in this class, purely based on film, behind Josh Jacobs. This is obviously off the 2017 film and the brief glimpses we got of him in 2018 before he got hurt. Speaking of injuries, there are obviously serious durability concerns with Rodney Anderson, which is why he fell to the sixth round instead of being a second-day pick. But he's a big back with enough speed and burst to threaten all areas of the field. He's a really good receiver out of the backfield. Actually runs nice routes rather than just bananas and flat routes. So if he comes back fully healthy this season, he should be able to eventually beat out Travion Williams to beat Joe Mixon's backup if and when Gio Bernard departs that backfield in 2020.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ryan Finley, let's go back to the start of the season. Ryan Finley was actually graded higher by scouts than Drew Locke off the 2017 film, where he showed himself to be a precisely accurate passer, a terrific game manager, really fell off in 2018, then did not distinguish himself during the senior bowl You know, when I look at this, I think they just redrafted A.J. McCarron because that's the type of quarterback he is, more of a game manager, uh, a guy that's a good set of eyeballs. And I think, like you said, if Andy Dalton uh, falters, they'll uh, stick Ryan Finley in there and see what they got. If Finley's able to get back to where he was for the 2017 season, he may have a future at the next level. Rennell Renn, I thought, was excellent value in round four. I had him as a fourth-round pick. We saw him at the senior ball. We actually got to speak with him at the senior ball. Not a playmaker, but a guy who's going to occupy blockers. He's going to handle opposing offensive linemen and allow his teammates to make plays on the ball. Hardworking guy, decent athlete, has the ability to make plays, has just got to start doing it. Michael Jordan, I thought, was an excellent selection. I mean, Jordan's a guy who can play multiple positions on the offensive line. Played center last year at Ohio State. Can play guard. Some people think he's got the uh, size and ability to, to play tackle. I don't know that he's ever going to be a starter, although I, I think down the road, maybe you could develop him to a starter at guard, but he's a guy who could be an invaluable and inexpensive backup. Trayvon Williams, you know, is a guy who, you know, will be in the mix as a situational ball carrier, very explosive, decent pass catcher out of the backfield. A guy I think that you can use on third downs as a ball carrier or, or, uh, throwing the ball out of the backfield has the ability to turn the corner, uh, decent speed, decent agility. Rodney Anderson, you know, it, it all comes down to durability. If Rodney Anderson can stay healthy and then improve on uh, the flashes he showed last year and even the ability he showed in 2017, the Bengals got themselves a steal. If he can't stay healthy, which he struggled throughout his Oklahoma career, then basically it was just a six-round pick that went nowhere. I like the selection of Jordan Brown in round seven. Jordan Brown was... We graded him as a potential fourth, fifth rounder. Some places had him even higher. He's got excellent size. He's very fast. He's explosive. He's a guy that flashes the ability to make plays with his back to the ball. I really think that he's a type of last round pick that could make it as a a dime back special teams player at the next level. So that is a guy who I, I think will surprise at the next level.
0: Now, since he signed only five free agents after the draft, which is definitely a low number, obviously they had seven picks on the third day to take up some of those roster spots. Texas A&M guard Keaton Sutherland is another versatile lineman that since he added the third behind, obviously, Jonah Williams and Michael Jordan. He's best in a phone booth, though. Does show good power and really plays with a nasty attitude. Receiver Stanley Morgan Jr. out of Nebraska was a surprise to me as a guy falling out of the draft. Now, his size and speed don't stand out. They're not poor. They're not great. They're just kind of average, but he's explosive, he's quick, he runs really nice routes, and he can get vertical to make plays in the air as well. I think he's a potential bigger slot receiver at the NFL level who can create consistent separation from the Penders with his routes and just really surprised that he didn't end up getting drafted.
1: I'm a big fan of Sutherland. He was a guy who was ridiculously overlooked had a draftable grade coming into the season, a six-round grade. I thought he did nothing but really improve on the field. Was not invited to the combine. Was not invited to the senior bowl. I think he's a guy that can make a roster as, as an inexpensive backup. Stanley Morgan, I think the whole situation in Nebraska and their offense and their marginal passing offense is what hurt him. But he's a guy that's got a lot of upside. They did sign Jake Dolgala of the Central Connecticut State. And you can find the scouting report on him at draftanalyst.com. He's a lot like Tyree Jackson. He's a big, strong pocket passer with a huge arm that really just has to work on going from being a thrower to a passer. He's got a great amount of upside. I don't know that he's going to make the uh, active roster, but I can absolutely see him uh, being a practice squad guy. One other guy that's not on the official list that they signed late, Charles Holland, the receiver from Tiffin. He's a guy who, coming into the 2017 season as a senior, was given a draftable grade by scouts. If you go back and watch some of his film, he is an absolute monster at receiver, a game-controlling uh, wideout. Had an injury which put him on the sidelines in 2017. Was okay last year in 2018. Really did not set the world on fire. Again, we do have a scouting report on Charles Holland uh, at DraftAnalyst.com. They've got a big need at, at receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. So if a guy like Stanley Morgan or Charles Holland show anything in camp this summer, I could absolutely see them making an active roster.
0: Overall, since he put forth what kind of looks like a pretty average, solid type of effort in this year's draft. We didn't love their second day picks, but the third day was pretty kind to them. And despite not having a lot of undrafted free agents, they got a couple of guys who could potentially make an impact. What do you think overall, Tony?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, they filled needs with solid players. None of these guys, whether it's Jonah Williams, whether it's Drew Sample, whether it's Jermaine Pratt, Ronell Wren, they don't have great upside. But they're guys who I think can play on Sunday, fill holes. I think some of them can develop into starters and at the very worst, you know, maybe be your fifth defensive lineman or, or your uh, sixth or seventh offensive lineman so I think it was a solid effort overall
0: that's all for the 62nd episode of the draft analyst presented by the believe sports podcast network do you believe if you're enjoying the show please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review and feel free to ask us questions on twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show We'll be back Tuesday with the Browns and the Steelers, so keep an eye out for that show and head over to draftanalyst.com as well for all our scouting reports and recent draft reviews. On behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. We'll talk to you soon.